Okay, greetings friends, Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. Uh, welcome to Market Depth. Apologies, I'm having some technical difficulties at the moment. Um, so this episode was actually supposed to go out yesterday for, what, Wednesday, May 17th at Asian Markets Close. However, as you can see, with my current setup, uh, was unable to, unable to do so. That said, there is something that you um, need to be aware of that I need to flag to the market depth audience, and that is the Chinese Yuan. Chinese Yuan has been in meltdown mode, and yesterday, USD CNH and USD CNY, which is offshore and onshore Yuan respectively, they both broke through a very critical level, price level of seven, okay? And so I'm gonna go through why the hell you should care about the yuan um, in the first place and why it has direct and significant relevance to the price direction of your S&P index portfolio, your U.S. stock portfolio, amongst many other global assets, um, and why at the, at the very least, why you need to at least be aware that the Chinese yuan can have enormous and immediate relevance to the green and red blinking tickers that you do care about. Um, and how it can also serve as a very useful macro tool as well. Okay, so this is year-to-date dollar yuan USDCNH, um, and I've inverted the chart for not just this, but for basically all of these. Um, and the reason is because it's just simply easier to visualize. So basically, when you see this going up, that's the yuan getting stronger. When you see it going down, that's the yuan getting weaker. Um, and it's easier just to kind of overlay other uh, charts on top of. All right, so as you can see, very strong start to the year, right? That's like a 5% rally into the first two weeks of January, which is an insane move um, for any major currency, let alone uh, what's supposed to be uh, a, you know, a fixed, fixed currency. The reason that it rallied 5% in the first two weeks of January was because starting in the beginning of the year, the, you know, the consensus was to be bullish, the China reopen narrative. And as that fizzled away, you can see that literally in the price action of the Yuan, just kind of whittling away all of its gains until all of its gains are, had been given up. And now we're hitting new year-to-day lows day after day. And then, as I just said, we've now hit into the seven handle um, on dollar CNH and dollar CNY, okay? Now, here is why this matters. Here's why you should care. This is very simple. This is a chart of the S&P 500 or E-mini futures, okay? Um, over the course of the last, call it year and a half or so. Um, so just basically trying to capture 2022. And in addition to that, we also have a chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield overlaid in red. And I've also inverted the 10-year U.S. Uh, Treasury yield chart as well. So that's basically upside down, okay? And I did that because it's for the sake of, you know, once again, it's easier to visualize and to, to talk about it as well, right? Because I can now talk about treasury bonds in directional price terms, just like all other asset classes, not in like yield terms, okay? In other words, when that red line's going down, that's treasuries getting sold and getting cheaper. Um, and when the red line is going up, that's U.S. treasuries getting bid up, Okay. So very straightforward story that we all know very well, 2022, bond and equity prices both plunged. 
And one can say that equities plunged as a function of bonds plunging, i.e. the risk-free rate surging, and hence these two were somewhat well correlated in price direction behavior over this time period. But, like, note these two points that are circled here, okay? These are instances where U.S. equities and treasuries had just kind of temporarily just decoupled from one another. They had moments in which they just, they didn't peak together. And in the case of the first circle from March 2022, SPX not only decoupled from its directional trend with treasuries, but it actually flipped to inverse price relationship with treasuries, like the like a mirror opposite um, of what it had been doing um, prior to and what it will be doing thereafter. Okay, uh, so why? What, what happened? What's going on here? Well, what happened was China happened. Here is dollar yuan overlaid in white. And again, this is inverted. So that white line down means yuan going down. Now, let's take a close look at this chart. Okay, first of all, for context, the USDCNH, that cross rate had been trading basically flat, okay, very stable and bound within a plus minus 2% or so range, which is what the yuan peg to the US dollar is, okay. But in 2022, there were two separate periods in which the Chinese yuan had suddenly and sharply broken from that range and massively devalued against the dollar in a very material manner, um, in a sustained manner, okay. So the first of those two legs uh, legs down, the first of what, which was at the end of April, in which this, you know, previously dead flat pegged FX pair that was in a two percent range for the past eighteen months suddenly saw a seven minus seven percent plunge in the yuan, within less than a month's time. That's huge. Then it regained some stability until the yuan sharply dropped yet again, starting in mid August at which point the yuan fell an additional minus 10% from that point over the course of the next two months. Okay, these are extremely significant moves. Okay, I mean like, you know, a three-week 7% move in any major FX pair is huge, let alone a pegged one that had been stable until then. And in both instances of, this, of the yuan plunging, as you can see, not only did it take uh, SPX down with it, but it did so kind of head on in the middle of an SPX upside rally. In other words, so not only was it stopping that SPX upside momentum dead in its tracks, but it also outright just smacked the equity markets directionally back downwards and abruptly reversed these bear market rallies to resume the downside uh, SPX sell-offs into lower lows. Meanwhile, going back to this chart, that includes U.S. Treasuries, the U.S. Treasury market price action clearly didn't have that same level of equity market direction pivoting impact in those two instances that I just showed, right? You know, Treasuries dropped, but equity markets didn't. They defied what Treasury markets were doing um, at the time. They're totally unfazed. So if you actually just simply just take the, the Treasury market, you know, price action out of the picture altogether, you'll see that during these certain periods of SPX downside price action, this is actually more responsive to when the yuan was making a major move down rather than when treasuries would, especially in the two distinct yuan sell-off periods. And even during the periods in between, right, with SPX bear market rallying, 
those bear market rallies just coincided with periods of yuan just regaining price stability, essentially allowing for the U, uh, for the SPX to, to bear market rally. And that bear market rally would last until the next yuan downside leg began and then subsequently reversed SPX upside. Then in mid-September 2022, okay, this is when, this is that like red oval in the middle. That's when dollar yuan finally broke through into the seven handle which is just as the dollar yuan is currently doing again as we speak right now um, but on that day in september 2022 when dollar yuan broke seven where that red circle is spx e-minis had a minus four percent single day drop that day and that day that also kicked off another minus 15 percent further downside in spx over the next month starting from that moment when dollar yuan printed a seven handle um, as dollar yuan moved deeper into the seven handle actually hitting just under 7.4 in, in about a month okay and then the yuan finally bottomed out in november after the china party congress and then it began its reversal back uh to eventually getting back into the six handle but during which spx saw another 12 percent rally now, I'm obviously not saying that like all the SPX downside in 2022 was just purely and only driven by the yuan plunging, okay? I mean, just look at the chart. Clearly, there are times and instances, several of them, where SPX had sold off on its own and has nothing to do with the yuan, right? Due to just, just simply just due to other catalysts, you know, while the yuan just stayed put. Russia invading Ukraine being one example, okay? But what I am pointing out is that there are two instances of significant SPX downside moves that had occurred in tandem with the two yuan sell-off periods of 2022. All right. So, look, if you previously didn't think that the yuan mattered to you, U.S.-based U.S. stock investor, hopefully I might have your attention now. Or forget if I have your attention. Hopefully this has your attention, okay? Um, and, of course, it's not just SPX that moves with the yuan. The Hang Seng Index and dollar yuan, I mean, they're basically the same chart, right? Not exactly the same, not always, but obviously it's far tighter a correlation. And then, as you know, this is my favorite go-to, which is the yuan and copper prices. And many other asset classes around the world um, also, you know, correlating with uh, the yuan price action, you know, to differing degrees. Okay, so why does the yuan exhibit price correlations with various macro asset classes why does this happen so it's not that the yuan itself is having a direct flow effect into these assets and therefore correlating price uh, action right these are happening separately and coincidentally okay so just think of the offshore yuan price action itself as a barometer of chinese and economic you know, the Chinese economic financial market picture, like kind of in, in totality, okay? And then separately, think of something like copper futures or what have you, that also has its own respective price action drivers and factors in its own, you know, its own ways and its own matters. And some of which is related to China and some of which, which has nothing to do with China at all, okay? But it's because like all of these different markets and assets because they each have their own individual idiosyncratic price action driving factors, that's why it's pretty incredible just how closely they actually match up and behave in such lockstep mirroring ways in coincidental manner, right? Um, 
And so that's essentially what's going on. Okay, so sometimes I get pushback from when I say that dollar CNH uh, is a barometer because people say that the yuan is, you know, it's a pegged currency. It's not a free floating currency. Uh, yes, indeed, it is a managed fixed currency. But why, so what? Why do barometers have to only be those that, you know, are, are within free markets, right? Barometers are just measures of whatever forces that control something are. And so if the Chinese economy and Chinese financial markets and the Chinese currency are by and large under the direction of the state, then the yuan sounds to me like a fantastic barometer of what's going on in China all the same. Okay. And so if the yuan is indeed a barometer of what's going on in China, right, and that's just happening idiosyncratically, right, and the price action is happening completely independently on its own. And then you have copper futures that are also just moving independently, but they're moving in lockstep. That's what I mean by how incredible it is that they can, you know, correlate to, to this degree, right? Um, but it's not happening because of any sort of direct flow effect. These are independent and coincidental, okay? And so what that means is, going back to the E-minis chart, there are times where SPX E-minis will fall, you know, have fallen during 2022 that have nothing to do with China. And there are times where it had everything to do with China. And the yuan is how you can tell whether or not it is a China-related move or not. And it could be purely coincidental as well, but likely it's not, right? Um, China is a major economy. It's a major force. It's a major geopolitical force. It's a major financial force. It's a major economic force. Okay, so what's going on in China is obviously critically important for investors out there. And they'll, there's a lot of investors who will just shed off and dump their risk positions in SPX or whatever it may be because they're spooked out of something out of China. And the thing is that the reason that these yuan correlations are more pronounced to the downside or to risk off scenarios is because of the unique nature and the you know uncertainty characteristics that China harbors, right? In other words, like market risk that stems from China has a far higher like surprise and shock factor in it due to the, just the very structure of China being a very top-down state-controlled economy and market and not a very transparent one at that, right? Because forecasting macro data to then extrapolate like policy implications is hard enough as it is in like the major developed economies and, and markets, um, right? Like the, the Fed is not trying to, you know, hide anything. They're trying to be as transparent as possible. They are at the whim of, you know, macro data volatility that they would love to know themselves. Um, but they're at least trying to, you know, their intention is to not sh rattle and shock markets and is to guide as, as, as much as possible, right? They have dot plots for, for crying out loud. That's not really how it is in China, um, nor is the Chinese economy data driven, right? Like, let's see how things kind of play out and uh, let's see how CPI is and this and that. China is much more um, hands-on and, and managed. And so therefore, in addition to inherent, you know, data volatility that's far less transparent as it is, there's also this element of just human beings making decisions and headlines that can come out at any time. And so therefore, things like shutting down an entire city of Shanghai, for example, for during COVID-0 or whatever it may be, or just reversing all that, right? Those sort of things 
um, will catch markets off guard. And they, they have huge global macro implications. And that is going to be reflected in USD, CNH. And if that you know, market movement and that market price action behavior happens to align with something else like SPX E-minis, you can assume that, you know, the E-mini move, you know, the S&P move or the copper move is happening due to a development out of China. Okay, so now that we at least know how to use the Yuan as a tool of sorts to check with a particular, you know, any given market that is exhibiting some sort of price action behavior, um, and we want to see if it's something that's potentially related to uh, China um, by comparing it to price action and, you know, uh, with, it, with the yuan and all that. So we know how to kind of use that as a tool for that purpose and, and for others that I mentioned before, too. But where do we, what's the current state that we, you know, that we're in right now, right? If CNH is indeed some sort of a, a temperature check uh, on the Chinese economy as a whole, um, as well as sentiment and all of that kind of mixed into one, where do we sit? Well, we're not sitting very pretty, right? Um, we are hitting year-to-date lows day in and day out, and we're, again, we're through that seven handle. The interesting thing, however, is that at the moment, currently, at the time of this recording, at least, um, the DM equity markets, particularly Japan, has seemingly shrugging this off, right? I mean, we're on an absolute rally in, in Japan. So that could be either horrendous or, or not, right? Because that might be, there might just be like this, people just getting kind of caught up in the moment in terms of foreigners' inflows into Japan. Um, and then they're going to realize at some point that, oh my God, China is not doing well. And it, if that sentiment then starts to hit markets and starts to get priced into markets, well, Japan has a long, a far, far, uh, you know, longer way to fall from way higher up. Uh, so there's that. The other alternative is that China somehow picks itself up from its bootstraps and meets Japan higher. And I don't really see the latter happening um, as the likelier scenario. Um, or it could be, like I said before, on market depth, it could be a scenario where Japan, the reason Japan is getting all this inflow is because of this very reason, because China is not doing well. And so therefore Japan is getting inflows at the expense of China from capital allocators who have to allocate capital to somewhere. So um, they're just going to be overweight Japan instead of China because China is not doing well and Japan is just whatever neutral, then it's not really Japan merit based. It's China doing terrible um, based flows that are coming in, which means that ironically, if that is the case, you might actually see outflows from Japan and Japan start to underperform as China does better. So if that's the dynamic that's happening right now where China's not doing well and therefore Japan's getting the inflows, then when if China should turn things around, Japan is going to uh, get outflows from undeserved, quote-unquote, undeserved inflows, right? It wasn't on Japan merit necessarily. It was on capital that was supposed to go to China that got diverted over to Japan. So that, that's, that's another way to read it. Um, but as far as U.S. equities are concerned, right? Um, I think that there might be actually potential for, uh, you know, a, a not so good setup, right? Because currently it seems that U.S. equity investors 
especially U.S.-based U.S. equity investors, are extremely focused on the debt ceiling, as they should be, um, as well as the banking crisis, as they should be, right? But there's a lot of these domestic um, matters at home. As a result of that, I think that a lot of China weakness story that's just kind of trickling in and it's not really happening as like a sudden event, but it's just like a kind of boiling a frog sort of scenario is going largely unnoticed. So that might mean that it might be a market setup in which they lift the debt ceiling, you know, when banks stop failing in the United States in not too distant future. So if there's like kind of a relief rally off of those things that are no longer issues, that might be very short-lived because they might then fixate their eyes over to Asia and realize, oh my God, China didn't open, reopen at all. In fact, it's doing horrendously bad. Um, and we in the West and the developed economies are still facing kind of recession risk. So obviously it's still too early to tell. We don't know what the market setup is going to be. But if there is a scenario in which things just continue to deteriorate in China, that's not really that's being completely overlooked by u.s investors and then you get a relief rally pop on debt ceiling you know negotiation and lifting and all that that might be a an interesting opportunity to short into then you might get cnh correlated equity market downside uh last point i want to make is uh so yesterday we did get um China house housing data and more like alarming is that it doesn't seem to be like just some sort of financing issue that the PBOC can just kind of wash away by turning the spigots of liquidity on. It seems like there might be some more embedded structural issues like demographics and oversupply and all that kind of thing. Um, but the reason I want to bring this up is because of something I noticed when I you know was looking at Evergrande and all that. If you actually look at the Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index. Sometimes it actually not only moves in lockstep with the yuan, but sometimes it can lead the yuan. It's, it has happened before. Like I, I can, you know, go more granular, and you can see like this meltdown in the yuan is happening really in lockstep with the property index. And so I think that right now, of all of the problems on the table with China, it seems that problems in the property sector are re-emerging once again, and that is what is really pulling the yuan down and what pulled it through into the seven handle. I mean, yesterday, Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index was down like four and a half percent on the index. Um, I've actually looked at this index before for the yuan and I've compared it to the Aussie dollar or to certain commodities, iron ore futures and so on. And it does, it does actually lead um, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, all right? So just something that I want to throw out there um, in addition to the, the rest of the, the charts. All right, so that's it for me. Thanks for following Market Depth. We will see you soon. Hopefully, I'll get things up and running, but keep your eye on USD, CNH, USD, CNY, now above the seven handle for potential downside risk from here.